We are in week two of our series, Rules of Resilience. <clears throat> and it seems uh, ever since uh, COVID, people have been getting set off and, and kind of sidetracked. Thank you, my friend. Uh, sidetracked uh, by almost everything and anything. Uh, it feels like we spend more time and energy trying to prevent what we're afraid of than pursuing what we're passionate about. We all have had hard things uh, that we have to, have to go through and hard things that we want to do, but end up caving a little bit quicker than we'd like. It's not like we give up right away, though, uh, but when it, gets, when it gets painful and we all have no support whatsoever and it's taking forever, we end up just doing what's easy, not what's best. And so my question this morning is, ever wished you were more, fo more focused or, or had more follow-through with the things that you are passionate about or the difficult times that you are presented or currently in? You see, Jesus overcame impossible odds and opposition, but also genuinely enjoyed his life and the people around him. So... So what can't we learn from him and how he led his life and how he purposed us for, to live ours? What can we learn from him? And that's what this series is, is all about. And so this morning, I would like to uh, talk about, or my message is titled, Does Who You're Around Limit How Much You Can Handle? In other words, are the, who you do life with, who you associate with, who do you have around you, are they limiting the things that you do or not do? Can you remember a time? Can you remember a time where uh, you ate something that you had never, ever eaten in your life before uh, uh, with people who eat it all the time? Think about that. Something that you have never eaten before in your life, right? But you ate it because you're with the people that eat it all the time. And to you, it was strange. It was nasty. It was weird. It was gross, right? But to them, it was absolutely delicious. It was good. It was perfect. Just what they wanted. Ever been there? Ever done that? For me, it was eating sushi for the first time. Listen, if it, ain't, if it ain't meat, if it ain't chicken, I'm not a fan. And so we were in Puerto Rico, and I've heard, I have nothing against people who see, maybe a lot of you eat, eat sushi. But I, I, that's just not, raw fish ain't my thing. And I had a friend, a church member, who said, hey, I want to take you out to lunch. And I said, cool. He was like, he was like a nice big built guy like me. I was like, we're going to eat it up. Lovely. We're going to eat some steak and some potatoes. It's going to be good. And he was like, yeah, there's this new restaurant that opened up in Dorado, and I, I, I want to take you there. I was like, oh, great, man. I said, like, I can't wait to try it. Dorado's the city we lived in. And we're driving, and he, and, and he picks me up, and we, he takes me there. And, and it's a place where there's just a lot of different restaurants. And I'm like, man, I don't remember a new restaurant being open here. And, and except for this new one, and it had a weird name to it, and, and he, he pulls up right in front of it, and I'm like, oh. And then I see in the window, it says sushi, and I said, oh, God. 
And he's like, you ready? You eat sushi? I was like, mm, I've never really tried it, you know. And I try to give a diplomatic face and, you know, smile. And I'm like, okay, I don't know, Jesus, take the wheel. And so we sit down, and he was like, we're going we're gonna to eat all of it. And I'm like, <laughs> like all of it? <laughs> and he orders this massive spread. Like he, the, the, guy, the guy's taking the order, and he's flipping the page, and he's writing, he's flipping the page. And I'm just like, like, that's just a lot. Like, I didn't even bother looking at the menu because it didn't make sense to me. And next thing you know, they're bringing out these plates and plates, and then they're bringing, they, they took another table, and they put it next to ours. Now I feel like two big boys <laughs> being a little, anyway, so he, he's like, and I'm like, what is this? And I'm pointing at it. And at this time, I don't have a good poker face. At this time, it, it just, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And he's telling me what it is. And him by, by him telling me what it is, he, it was the worst thing he could have done. Because it just, it didn't even sound good. Anybody been there before? You see, we run across this in all kinds of settings and situations. Some of you are waiting to see what happened. I'm not telling you. How many times have you realized how different you and the environment you grew up in are from others and the environment that they grew up in? Maddie came home this week from school, and she brought four of her uh, teammates, all from different parts of the United States. And they wanted to come and hang out with Maddie in California. And, um, and they've had, whether they like it or not, Puerto Rican food. <laughs> now, Puerto Rican food to me is absolutely delicious. We have different spices, different seasonings. And we love our rice. And I don't know, I haven't asked them, but they've had to sit down for meals every night. And they not asked, we didn't ask him, what would you like to eat? We said, here's the food, and that's what you got to eat. Now, you're going to have to ask them if they enjoyed it or not, but uh, they have entered a different world. They've came into our family and they have to adjust to our customs and the th way we do things. You see, your family has certain shows. Maybe your family has certain shows that you watch together. And their family doesn't even watch TV. Your family has matching jerseys and regularly go to games together. Their family doesn't even know one of the many, many Yankee Hall of Famers there are. When someone in your family says, man, we're having dinner at 6, what does that mean? Well, that means that you better be at the table by 5.45 because dinner will be at the table waiting for you. When someone in their family says, we're having dinner at 6, it means someone might start cooking at 6. You probably won't eat until probably 8.30. We call that peña time. For our friends in Puerto Rico that came over to dinner they called it, we, we're going to eat at Pena time because by the time we talked, by the time we laughed, by the time we ate this and that and started to cook, it was probably about 9 o'clock. See, this isn't true from family to family. This is 
true from every family to family, from friend group to friend group, from company to company, from church to church. The people around you shape what's normal for you. You begin to fall into what they are doing, which is great. That's one of my favorite things about getting to know new people, learning about their lives and their routines and their households and their habits. It's fun to have those moments when you're like, oh, and you guys do this? Oh, that's so cool. That's different, right? That's so awesome, man. I would have never thought that. That's a, that's a new way to do that. That's a new way to approach it. That's part of what, what's fun about having different types of friends from different types of backgrounds and cultures and different upbringings who have different interests and experiences. But what happens, what happens when what's normal to you is no longer good for you? What happens when what's normal for you is not really good for you? What happens when you look at your family, at your co-workers, your circle of friends, and realize that some of the things that you have in common are the traits that you least like about yourself? We're all really anxious people. We're all workaholics. All of our interactions revolve around drinking. We, we all spend a lot of time complaining. We all make fun of people based on what they wear. We are all judgy. Maybe you're just noticing that you have some not so great things in common with certain people. You never really thought of those things as negative before because to you they just well they just seem normal have you ever tried to change a mindset a habit an attitude or an expectation without making changes to your environment before or the people in it it's really hard it's really hard almost impossible you think man it's 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 all their fault it's all their fault. What if, what if, what if there was some, some sort of truth to that? What if they, right, the people that you have around you, are sabotaging you without intending to? What if the people that you do life with, what if the people that you constantly have around you are kind of sabotaging or diverting you from the life or keeping you from the life that you were purpose and intended to live. On the other hand, have you ever started spending regular time with a group of people that you became like them? That you became like them and even, even though you didn't mean to and you weren't trying to, you sound just like them. Maybe you found yourself drawn to or interested in or even obsessed with things that probably surprised you. I didn't mean to start calling everyone, bro. It just happened. I don't know, six months on this job, and I caught the gulf bug. I know I said I, I'll never watch The Bachelor. 
That's all. Everyone at the gym talks about it. Now I can't wait for so-and-so to pick so-and-so. I always thought oversized Stanley mugs were overhyped. But they're cute in a very obnoxious way. We like to think that we're strong, church. We like to think that we're independent, free thinkers. But we're all social creatures. We have a built-in need to want to fit in. We impact and influence one another. We naturally mimic and model each other. This is why the classic parenting question is enormously loopholed. If, you're all, if your friends all jumped off the cliff, would you? Um, probably. Probably. There's a good chance they have a good reason for it. How big is the cliff? How high are we up from the ground? What are we jumping into? Are they all hooked to hang gliders or something? Is this part of the excursion or the cruise? I need more details. I trust these people. So, yeah, maybe I might jump off the cliff with them. Jim Rowan, an author and entrepreneur, famously observed this. He said, you're the average. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. I want you to think about that. Think of the people, the five people that you spend the most time with. Because you are the average of that circle. According to Jim. So here's what this all points to. That if you, if you have certain attitudes or actions that bother you, you may need to address who you are around with who's around you. If you have certain qualities and characteristics that you do not like, then you need to take a look at who you're spending the most time around. We don't want to do this because we don't want to admit that somebody we really like who may be even a good person isn't good for us right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 says, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Monica and I have been raising our kids to believe that so much. There's a saying in Spanish I won't say it because I don't know it all, but I will translate it in English or paraphrase it. And it says, I'll tell you where you're going by the people that you are around, the people that you're hanging around with. In other words, even if you're on a good path, the wrong combination of the people around you can pull you off of that path. You can't even find the path, your problems may be the people around you. If you find yourself noticing, church, I have trouble sticking to this habit or maintaining this mindset or believing this is possible or carrying out this commitment, there is a good, good chance that you might need to make an adjustment to who you spend the bulk of your time around. 
This doesn't mean trashing all of your relationships, but it might mean minimizing time over here or adding some new relationships over there or increasing your connection with people in this category. But what I do know this, church, becoming more resilient is an area, right, is an area that will require you to be honest about the impact of your relationship in or on that area. We need to be honest when it comes to this. Last week, we started looking at, uh, at the Old Testament and we brought about the story of a guy named Gideon, right, who felt challenged by God to step up and free his people from oppression. He wouldn't have been, uh, he wouldn't have been any of our first choices, right? He wouldn't have been our first choice. But God saw him in something, saw in him something no one else did. He encouraged Gideon to take one small step after another in the direction that God wanted him to. His strength grew and his skill set expanded. The task ahead was still way, way too big for him, bigger than anything he could have tackled on his own, but he wasn't the same person he was when he started. He knew he needed to put the right people, the right people around him to do what was in front of him. So he spread the word that he was looking for warriors to fight with him, to join him. This was an open call, and he wasn't picky. He just wanted every available body. But God had a different idea. We're going to continue this story. Judges chapter 7, verses 2 to 3 says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast, uh, will boast uh, to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. God wants Gideon to rely on him and not himself. So he wants to reduce his army, which is already a, a way too small of an army to guarantee victory considering what they were up against. He started with 32,000 soldiers or people. And God said, let's, let's get rid of these people. Let's start off. And he eliminated 22,000 of them. And what's interesting is how God sorts these people. When you're going into the biggest fight of your life, the biggest battle of your life, how do you decide? How do you decide who you want to be right there next to you by your side and who you don't? The first thing God says to do is to tell anyone who's nervous or afraid to... Go home. Get out of here. Over two-thirds of that army left. Two-thirds of the people left. This may sound random, but there's brilliance 
to it, my friends. People who are nervous to fight and don't want to fight are probably, more than likely, not going to fight well. Not going to fight well. If everyone was paired up with someone in a battle, right, that they're likely to die in, would you want to be coupled with someone who was afraid and nervous to fight? I wouldn't. I want somebody who's, who's ready to jump in. Someone who's willing to give it all. What's true of them is true of you, church. People who are only hanging around you because they're obligated to or benefiting from you in some form or fashion only want to skim the surface with you. They cannot be relied upon. They cannot be trusted when it comes to fighting alongside of you in your biggest battles. That's why there are friends, good friends, and there are associates, and there are co-workers, and there are people that you just smile and wave. Listen, you cannot solve deep problems with shallow relationships. You just can't. You can't go into battle, a big battle, with shallow, meaningless relationships. One wisdom writer said it this way in Proverbs 25, 19, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. You ever try to chew a nice piece of steak with a bad tooth? or try to run a race on a bum leg? In other words, painful, it's ineffective, it's distracting. Here's what I'm getting at. Partnering with the wrong people prevents even the right people from giving their best. I'll let that seep in a little bit. Partnering with the wrong people prevents even the right people from giving their best. And apparently God thinks there's still some wrong people in the mix for Gideon. Let's read in verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took the warriors down to the water, the Lord told them, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water with their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The first time God sorts people according to their attitude, this second time he sorts them according to their approach. He sends those who shove their face into the stream like an animal away. He's not looking for those who are impulsive and instinctual. He wants those who are reasonable and rational. He has an unusual plan that needs out 
of the box thinkers who can take who can take in detailed instructions and execute them with precision instead of impulsively breaking rank because they don't understand the big picture and their part in it. Another wisdom writer says it this way in Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise, associate with the fools and get in trouble. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. In other words, don't bring, don't bring an undiscerning person into a delicate situation. Too many of us want to bring someone into a conversation, into a deep matter, into something that really is important, and they have no business in that conversation. When you're trying to change, church, something about you, who you are and who you've been for a long time, this is a complex situation. This is a complex process that requires you to rethink everything. You can't have people in the trenches with you who are going to say, I don't get it. I don't see why you need to change. I don't see why this is so important to you. Why can't we just do it this way? Because it's not that simple. I'm not asking you whether you like the Yankees or the Dodgers. The Yankees, hello. That's simple. Just checking if you're following with me. What I'm actually in, the situation and the circumstances that I find myself today is a deep matter. It matters to me importantly. And so I cannot bring you into a situation where I cannot trust that what you have to say is important or deep enough. Because I'm not like you. Because there's a better way because I need this boundary in my life. Judges 7, 7 continues to tell us that the battle is set. We're ready for war. This is 300 versus infinite. This is the battle of all ages. 300 versus more than I can count. Maybe that's too much for you to comprehend. Maybe so. So let me let me help you understand the odds. There are three hundred grains of sand versus all of the sand on the beach. Right. This is the the insurmountable odds that we're looking at. In other words, this is not fair. It's not fair. If there was ever a story of insurmountable odds, this would be it. And part of the point that God is going to do here, right, part of the point is, uh, of the story is that God is going to win this battle, not the 300. God is going to win this battle. But God is going to do it through them because he always, he always uses people to accomplish his plans. You see, God is in the business of people. Maybe you don't know that today. 
God is in the business of people, and God is in the business of using people to accomplish his goals and his plans. Some of you have been used by God to accomplish his purpose here on earth. Some of you are, God is preparing to, he's preparing you to be used by him. And some of you are waiting on God to use you. You see, he put these specific 300 people together because they were the ones that he needed to win this battle. He already filtered out the ones he didn't want. He already filtered out those who did not match his plan. But those 300 were hand-selected by him. And so my question today is who you need with you, or my statement says who you need with you is dependent on what you're trying to do. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish in your time here on earth? I'm going to wrap this up this morning. And I want you to think about that question. The statement and then the question. Who you need with you is dependent on what you're trying to do. And so the question lies, what are you trying to do? And this encompasses so many things in life. Maybe you're trying to find a partner for life. Maybe you're trying to get to this new status at work. Maybe you're trying to start a family. Maybe you're trying to just figure out what's your next step in life. And I want to tell you this morning that it matters. It matters, absolutely matters who you're running with. Who's your group? Who's your tribe? It matters. Because that group of people is who God is going to use to get you to accomplish what he has purposed for your life. What I want you to know about whatever fight that you're facing today, what I want you to know is that what you can weather is more about who's with you than what's stacked against you. what you're going to be able to accomplish and do in life, what you're you're going to be able to surpass and get over and be victorious in matters more of who's around you than what battle you're facing. This idea is echoed all through Scripture. Ecclesiastes 4 9 and 12 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. 
Verse 11, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. In other words, some of you think that you can do this on your own, and that's not how God created life to be lived on your own. He has called and purposed people to be around you, to be able to do incredible things for his kingdom, for his glory, and his honor. In other words, if you're trying to change your life, become a better person, break the chains of addiction, or establish healthy Christ-centered habits all by yourself, you're doing it wrong. You're going about it the wrong way. Resilience is built in relationships and not just any relationship, a certain kind of relationship. Proverbs 18.24 says, a real friend sticks closer than a brother. A real friend, right? Some friendships are, are not making you better. Newsflash. Some friendships are not making you better. It's not that you need to cut ties with those people, but you may need to reduce the amount of time that you spend with them. Choose your inner circle based on who's making you better. And when we say better, we mean more like Jesus. Because if your friends are not helping you be more Christ-like, be more like Jesus, then And what are we really doing? How are we fulfilling God's purpose and plan for our lives if we're not actually taking steps to get closer to him so that we can be more like him? And so if your friends are not helping you be more like Christ, then what are they doing? Choose You're in a circle based on who's making you better. And it also means that your circle may not look like someone else's circle because different types of people have different effects on one another. What the chemistry, what's the chemistry of you and them create? What is the chemistry that you and them are creating? An honest answer to that question ought to determine what kind of friendship you are seeking with them. Are you a buddy? Or are you a brother? You need both. But they, are, but they fulfill totally different roles. And your expectations of each is different. It must be different. Everybody cannot be your brother or your sister. And everybody cannot just be your buddy. How is this? Proverbs 17, 7 says, it reminds us that a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. A buddy is someone that you hang out with and things when things are good, A brother or a sister is someone who shows up for you when things are bad. And not just to sit and cry with you, both of which are important, 
and definitely not to say, I told you so. But they're there to link arms with you and help you fight your way forward. And we all have things that we need to fight through, church. You're, you're not meant to do it alone. You need a band of brothers and sisters or a pack of mothers. Here's a point. You cannot change the people around you, but you can change the people you are around. And changing some of these around you or some of those around you has the power to change everything about you. Don't leave your relationships up to chance, friends. Oh, I just met them. I think they're cool. I think they're going to be my best friend forever. Don't leave it up to chance. Be intentional. Be intentional about putting yourself around people that will guide you toward your God-given passions and help you fulfill your purpose. Sometimes what's holding us back is, is, is too little time with the right people. Sometimes what's holding us back is too little time with the right people. So if you, so who are you in the trenches with? Who are you in the trenches? Who are you going to battle with? Think about that. Think about the people that you have around you. Who are you going to battle with? If your group doesn't match your goals, then you won't grow. It's just the way it is. If the people around you do not match up to your goals, then you will not grow. You will not grow. And I say group because having several people all moving in the direction that you want to go is a very powerful thing. To have a group of people supporting you and encourage you and moving in the same direction is an incredible and powerful thing. I'm sure that we all have people in our lives that we love and care about. And this message is not about just loving, having loving and caring people around you. Because I'm sure we all know someone that we love and care about that feels more like a weight. This is about surrounding yourself with people that are going to lift you up empower you and help you be the person that God has created you to be. I'm not knocking down your other friends or your other people that you surround yourself with. They have a purpose as well. But when you find yourselves in time of need, time to fight, you need to have people around you that are going to toe the line with you. Amen? My challenge for you this week is to pick a person. Pick a person who's resilient in a way that you want to be and, and, and put yourself around them regularly. Find someone that you want to be around with. Someone that emulates the same 
goals and purpose and resiliency that you want to achieve in life. Hang around them. Do life with them. Because it would would do incredible things for your life. In other words, find people that are like-hearted, like-minded. Someone who's going to lift you up and not bring you down. Someone's going to fight with you. Because those are the people that you need around you. Amen.